Welcome to Spot Diagnosis, a podcast about all things dermatological, brought to you by the Skin Health Institute in Melbourne, Australia. I am Dr. Blake Mumford, Education and Research Fellow at the Institute. And I am Dr. Annalise Willems. I'm a GP, medical educator and research fellow at the Skin Health Institute. Blake and I are your co-hosts today. As a reminder for our GP listeners, Spot Diagnosis has been accredited with RACGP and ACRAM. There is one CBD point per episode, so approximately nine to 10 points per season. All you need to do is subscribe to the podcast, listen to all the episodes, and fill in a brief evaluation form on spotdiagnosis.org.au. Repeat, that's spotdiagnosis.org.au. Our guest today is Associate Professor Robert Kelly, who is Head of Clinical Dermatology at St Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne. He also works in private practice and is the practice principal at Hawthorne East Dermatology. He has a special interest in inflammatory disorders, particularly affecting the lower limbs, including vasculitis and pyoderma gangrenosum. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for having me. So your special area of interest is vasculitis. Why do you think vasculitis is so cool? Vasculitis can be dramatic and florid in its presentation. It can require some detective work to make the diagnosis. Some symptoms can be quite nonspecific, such as fever, arthralgias, and lethargy, while other symptoms can be quite specific as a consequence of the particular organ affected, such as skin changes, cough, or abdominal pain. So Rob, you can be honest with us here. When you're investigating vasculitis, does it make you feel like you're a little bit like Sherlock Holmes? Yes, the diagnosis may not always be immediately apparent, and it may take some work to uncover it. Vasculitis generally, however, responds well to therapy, so it can be a very rewarding condition to treat. Vasculitis, it's a word that strikes fear into the heart of medical students and an area of medicine that feels like it's surrounded by an air of mystery. Let's start really simple. What is it? I agree that there is an air of mystery and the word can sound daunting. Vasculitis means inflammation of blood vessels. Vasculitis is not the diagnosis itself per se, but refers to a group of heterogeneous disorders in which there is inflammation and necrosis of the blood vessel wall. Blood vessels are everywhere. Does that mean vasculitis can occur anywhere in the body? Yes, that's right. Manifestations can thus be quite varied. The severity of these manifestations can also differ enormously. This can be from a minor nuisance, such as a rash on the lower limbs, to a severe life-threatening disorder requiring urgent treatment, such as cardiac or renal involvement, such as glomerulonephritis. Presentation may also range from very acute and inflammatory to very chronic and quite indolent. Sometimes it may persist or occur for years without significant impact on health. Complexity can feel overwhelming. So hopefully we can take away some of this mystery and add some clarification. How about we start with what the underlying mechanism is that's causing the blood vessels to be inflamed in vasculitis? Most types of vasculitis arise from immune complex deposition in vessel walls. In cutaneous small vessel vasculitis, this occurs in very small vessels known as post-capillary venules. This activates inflammatory pathways and recruitment of neutrophils leading to vessel wall damage. How common is vasculitis? I hear some medical students thinking, can I get through a medical career without knowing anything about vasculitis? 
Sometimes we make tactical decisions about where to place our finite resources of time and energy. And some forms of vasculitis are very rare, but some are not uncommon. Also, given this condition can be potentially severe and even life-threatening, it would be worthwhile being familiar with the general concepts about vasculitis, even if it may be difficult to know the minutiae about all the specific vasculitic syndromes. A good approach, and one that is used in many textbooks, is grouping vasculitides by the size of the vessel involved. Rob, would you mind taking us through the classification and why it's helpful? Correct. The simplest way of classifying vasculitis is by the size of the vessel which is predominantly affected. Classification also involves the pattern of organ involvement, the histological findings, as well as the associated causes. Let's start with the smallest blood vessels. How does a small vessel vasculitis manifest when it affects the skin? Palpable purpura is the most classic and common sign of small vessel vasculitis and is caused by inflammation of vessels and leakage of red blood cells from the vessel into the tissue. These classically occur in so-called dependent areas of the body, in particular the lower legs, and is usually symmetrical. It may also affect the thighs, buttocks and forearms and can sometimes be more generalised. They may sometimes crust, blister or ulcerate. I think it's time for our first skin tip of today. The hallmark sign of small vessel vasculitis in the skin is palpable purpura. Rob, why does the vasculitis preferentially affect the lower limbs? The leg vessels are most vulnerable due to the effect of gravity. Vessels in the leg are under more pressure as blood is pumped from the lower legs against gravity. Such stress makes it easier for immune complexes to be more readily deposited. And what are some of the causes of small and medium-sized vasculitis? Commonest causes are infections such as group A streptococcus, drugs such as antibiotics, inflammatory diseases such as lupus. In about 50% of cases, however, no cause is found. Finding the cause is often difficult. For example, in patients with infections treated with antibiotics, it may be difficult to know whether it is the infection or the medication that is causing the vasculitis. What are the main types of small and small to medium vessel vasculitis? The most common one, which is known as cutaneous small vessel vasculitis, IgA vasculitis, also known as henoxonline purpura, and urticarial vasculitis. Some of these will also have systemic involvement. Small to medium vessels are affected in anchor-associated vasculitis and vasculitis due to cryoglobulins. These will present with signs of both small and medium vessel vasculitis. And what is anchor, or who is anchor? Anchor stands for anti-neutrophil cytoplasmic antibodies. Anchor is a really significant test in a patient with vasculitis. It identifies a type of vasculitis known as anchor-associated vasculitis and they can give rise to significant systemic organ involvement. They may be severe and potentially life-threatening if untreated. These antibodies are thought to be pathogenic. I've seen different types of anchors on pathology reports. Why are these useful? Anchors are antibodies against intracellular proteins, mainly proteinase 3, or so-called C-anchor, and myeloperoxidase, so-called P-anchor. The difference is important because the pattern of anchor can help distinguish between the different types of anchor-associated vasculitis. What are the anchor-associated vasculitides? 
There are three main types, Wegener's vasculitis, now known as granulomatosis with polyangiitis, and this can be abbreviated to GPA, Schurg-Strauss syndrome, now known as eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangiitis, and this can be abbreviated to eGPA, and the third one is microscopic polyangiitis. Those are a bit of a mouthful. Yes, indeed, they can be difficult to remember. They're important to know about though, because they can be quite severe and tend to affect the kidneys and lung. I think it's time for our next skin tip. Anchors are pathogenic antibodies seen in some types of vasculitis. And what about medium-sized vessel vasculitis? How does it present? In medium vessel vasculitis, you see a different skin morphology. These present with subcutaneous nodules, levito reticularis, so-called retiform purpura, meaning patches of purpura which have an angulated or branched pattern, inflammatory ulceration, and necrosis. Rarely, digital ischemia may occur. Nodules are generally deeper in the skin, red in colour, and may be tender when pressed and may ulcerate. What is levito reticularis? Levito is a net-like pattern of the skin and occurs when there is slowing of blood flow through the skin. The blood accumulates in the superficial venous plexus, which is arranged in a net-like pattern. Thus appears as a red to purple net-like pattern. Similar pattern is often seen in healthy people on a cold day due to vasospasm. It's important to note that an anchor-associated vasculitis, both small and medium vessels may be affected. These conditions can thus present with features of both small and medium vessel vasculitis. So one may see palpable purpura as well as nodules and levito reticularis. Thus, using the skin exam alone, we can narrow the differential diagnosis of the type of vasculitis. So what I think you're saying, Rob, is that there can be some overlap between the presentation of small and medium vessel vasculitis, is that right? More that if you've got both of those vessels involved, then you'll get manifestations of both oh, simultaneously. Both. Yeah. And what are the medium vessel vasculitides? Medium-sized vessels are typically affected in cutaneous polyarteritis nodosa and systemic polyarteritis nodosa. Small to medium-sized arteries are affected. In these conditions, the kidneys may be affected, but unlike small vessel vasculitis, they don't cause glomerulonephritis. Instead, you see arterial aneurysms on CT angiography and hypertension clinically. So to summarise, small vessel vasculitis manifests differently depending on the organ. Small vessels exist in the skin, the lungs and the kidneys. Vasculitis in the kidneys causes inflammation of the delicate glomerular capillaries and this manifests as macro or microscopic hematuria and possibly associated impaired renal function. In the lungs, similarly, there are delicate blood vessels that supply the alveoli. And when there is vasculitis of these vessels, we see alveolar hemorrhage. And when bad enough, it may cause hemoptysis. In the skin, we see palpable purpura. And when the inflammation is bad enough, the blood supply can be compromised and you can develop necrosis and ulceration. Is that right, Rob? Correct. I think it's time for another skin tip. Medium vessel vasculitis causes levito reticularis rather than palpable purpura. I'm going to jump in here and add another skin tip but it's quite large, so we're probably gonna call it a skin paragraph. So to summarize what we've just spoken about, small vessel vasculitis manifests differently depending on the organ. 
Small vessels exist in the skin, the lungs, and the kidneys. Vasculitis in the kidneys causes inflammation of the delicate glomerular capillaries. And this manifests as macro or microscopic hematuria and possibly associated impaired renal function. In the lungs, similarly, there are delicate blood vessels that supply the alveoli. When there is vasculitis of these vessels, we see alveolar hemorrhage, and when bad enough, it may cause hemoptysis. In the skin, we see palpable purpura, and when the inflammation is bad enough, the blood supply can be compromised and you can develop necrosis and ulceration. And finally, what about the large vessel vasculitides? Large vessels are affected in two conditions. Giant cell arteritis, which often affects the superficial temporal arteries, is also known as temporal arteritis. It occurs in older people and may be associated with polymyalgia rheumatica. Blindness can sometimes occur due to the involvement of the ophthalmic artery, so suspicion of this diagnosis is a medical emergency. The other condition is known as Takayasu's arteritis and affects the aorta at its major branches. It tends to occur in women under the age of 50. Can you recall any patients you have seen with skin manifestations due to large vessel vasculitis? I recall seeing an 80-year-old lady with ulceration of the scalp due to giant cell arteritis. Similar large inflammatory ulceration can also be seen in Takayusu's arteritis. So we've mentioned that small and small to medium vessel vasculitis is sometimes associated with internal organ involvement. What clues would suggest to you that systemic involvement has occurred? Constitutional symptoms such as flu-like symptoms, including fevers, myalgias, arthralgias, as well as lethargy, tiredness, and loss of weight would raise the suspicion of systemic involvement. This should trigger a targeted investigation. For example, urinalysis looking for glomerular nephritis or chest X-ray looking for lung involvement. The GP, I find this a really complex topic. How do we investigate cutaneous vasculitis? And in this, is there a preferred biopsy technique and, and what tests should I write down on the pathology request form if I'm querying vasculitis in one of my patients? When it affects the skin, diagnosis is generally easier because diagnostic tissue is very accessible. It's important to confirm the diagnosis histologically, particularly given the potential consequences for the patient. For small vessel vasculitis, three millimeter punch biopsy will suffice. You need to do two biopsies. One is for histopathology, which goes into formalin, and the other is for direct immunofluorescence, which should be placed in saline-soaked gauze, not formalin. Timing is important and is best done on a lesion that has been present for 24 to 48 hours. Biopsy findings are generally quite distinctive. Why is direct immunofluorescence important? Immunofluorescence is important for evidence of IgA in the blood vessel wall, which would suggest a diagnosis of IgA vasculitis or henoxonline purpura. And what biopsy technique is best for medium vessel vasculitis? If a medium vessel vasculitis is suspected, such as polyarteritis nodosa, then an elliptical or large punch biopsy down to subcutaneous fat is necessary to maximise the chance of finding an affected vessel. Can I just interject there for a moment? Did you say a biopsy down to fat? Is that right? Yeah. I didn't realise you had to go so deep for a diagnostic biopsy. Does this just increase the chances of, of making the diagnosis? Yes. Are there any other tests that are helpful? When a patient presents with suspected or confirmed cutaneous vasculitis, 
initial workup should try to answer three basic questions. First is, are other organ systems involved? Secondly, are there findings which help establish a particular diagnosis? And thirdly, are there in any underlying causes or associated diseases? To investigate for systemic organ involvement, important tests include urinalysis, chest X-ray, routine blood tests, including FBE, urine electrolytes, liver function tests, inflammatory markers, including ESR and CRP. These are helpful as they may be elevating vasculitis. Screening for infection is also important. And this would include hepatitis serology, HIV, and anti-streptolysin OTTA. You should also screen for underlying autoimmune conditions. And this would include ANA, ENA, rheumatoid factor, and anti-double-stranded DNA antibodies. ANCA should be performed in all patients. It's time for another skin tip. For a patient presenting with vasculitis, the important first step is to confirm a diagnosis of vasculitis and then to go looking for systemic involvement and other associated diseases. As a GP, if I think I'm dealing with vasculitis, when should I refer and to who? This is definitely a complex area of medicine. Indeed it is. I would say this is an appropriate area to have a low threshold for referral, particularly if there is significant skin involvement or systemic involvement. Referral would be influenced by which organs appear to be involved. There is significant skin involvement without obvious systemic involvement, a dermatologist. If there is concern about systemic involvement, then a physician should be involved. Blood vessels are obviously important structures and inflammation of these vessels sounds like it could do some serious damage. What are the complications of vasculitis? Vasculitis can cause significant mortality and morbidity. Untreated five years rates of survival in systemic vasculitis, such as polyarteritis nodosa, may only be as much as 13%. Corticosteroid treatment increases this to 50 to 60%. And steroids combined with immunosuppressive therapy increases this to more than 80%. Complications result from end organ damage. And the potential risk is quite extensive, but may include such things as renal failure, peripheral neuropathy, stroke, myocardial infarction, bowel hemorrhage, infarction or perforation, pulmonary hemorrhage, and severe skin ulceration. These patients often require prolonged and significant immunosuppression. I imagine that causes its own set of problems. Yes, absolutely. Treatment with prolonged corticosteroids and immunosuppression can cause many problems, including diabetes, osteoporosis, myopathy, infections, and even malignancy. Let's run through some real-life examples of vasculitis that you might encounter in the wild. I did ask the production team if we could have the wild Pokemon music play at this time, but I've been told it's not possible due to copyright. So anyway. Greta is a 14-year-old girl who began to feel unwell a few days ago, with joint pain and a rash affecting her lower legs and thighs. Today, she has developed nausea and some mild cramping abdominal pain. Her parents are worried because she wasn't even interested in TikTok this morning. You examine her rash and stroking your chin, wisely observe that she has palpable purpura. She is afebrile and does not look unwell. Professor, what is your diagnosis? This is very likely to be Henoch's online purpura or IgA vasculitis. 
which is the most common type of small vessel vasculitis in children. It looks the same as other types of small vessel vasculitis, presenting with palpable purpura in dependent areas. It is mediated by immune complexes containing IgA, which can be found in vessels by immunofluorescence on fresh tissue. Inoxaline purpura is most commonly precipitated by upper respiratory tract infection, particularly streptococcal or viral infections. Next up is Donald, a 74-year-old gentleman who loves golf and plays almost every day. Donald is the picture of good health and a model patient. He proudly tells you that he always sun protects when he is on the green. Baffled, he points to his legs and says, good doctor, tell me, what is this rash on my legs? Examining closely, you see that on both legs, below the knees, he has a fine rash, which looks like tiny red spots. These areas do not blanch. What do you think is happening? This is a very classic story of what is called golfer's vasculitis or exercise-induced vasculitis. Generally, it occurs after prolonged exercise, such as when playing golf or hiking under warm or hot conditions. It is by far the most common form of vasculitis. In golf, it tends to occur after about 13 or 14 holes and initially starts as red patches that then become purpuric. The distribution may be affected by socks as compression can be an effective way of preventing the rash. It is benign and generally settles spontaneously over a few days to a week. Patients sometimes mistakenly think it might be a reaction to weed killer or other chemicals used on the golf course and curators and maintenance staff may get inquiries from concerned golfers. The rash also occurs when people are on holiday and trudge the footpaths of foreign cities or for prolonged periods of time under hot conditions. The main treatment is reassurance, as well as below knee compression socks over the summer months. Now, Rob is being very modest here, and he failed to mention that he is actually the person who first described golfer's vasculitis. On to our next scenario. Mikhail is a 45-year-old gentleman who has hit a bit of a rough patch. You've been seeing him with increasing frequency over the past few months for a new diagnosis of asthma which has been confirmed on pulmonary function testing. Despite thorough education and review of inhaler technique, ephemeral budesonide via a spacer has had minimal effect. It's useless, doctor. It makes no difference. Give me more of the prednisolone. It is the only thing that works, he tells you at this appointment. Mikhail is a stoic Eastern European, but he had accumulated a litany of complaints recently, including nasal congestion, a hoarse voice, and some tender nodules on the arms. Rob, what's going on here? The recent onset of asthma, the nasal congestion, the hoarse voice, and the skin nodules are suspicious of a type of vasculitis known as Schurg-Strauss syndrome, now known as eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangiitis. The nodules should be biopsied, which is a way of confirming the diagnosis. Histologically, numerous eosinophils are seen as well as granulomas and vasculitis. This condition often develops over three stages. The first stage is characterized by the onset of asthma, allergic rhinitis, and nasal polyps. In the second stage, there is hypereosinophilia in tissue and blood. And in the third stage, granulomatous and vasculitic tissue inflammation is found. 
It often affects the respiratory tract, nerves, and the myocardium. Kidneys are less commonly affected compared with other anchor-associated vasculitides. 70% are anchor-positive, usually P-anchor. Treatment may consist of prednisone alone or with cyclophosphamide in severe life-threatening cases. Key difference between Wegener's or granulomatosis with polyangiitis and Schurg-Strauss syndrome is that Wegener's is C-anchor positive and tends to have prominent upper respiratory tract involvement as well as pulmonary and particularly renal involvement. Thanks everybody for listening. That concludes our episode on vasculitis. We hope this podcast has been a vessel of knowledge. Thank you, Associate Professor Kelly, for your time and sharing your expertise with us. Thanks for having me. We'd like to thank our producer and supervisor, Professor Alvin Chong at the Skin Health Institute. This podcast has been recorded using Zoom during Melbourne Lockdown 6.0. We'd also like to thank the education team at the Skin Health Institute and Balloon Tree Productions. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Spot Diagnosis. Remember, these podcasts are not meant to replace medical advice. If you have a skin condition that requires attention, we strongly encourage you to see your medical practitioner. For listeners who want more information on this subject, the transcript of this episode and links to other resources can be found on our website, spotdiagnosis.org.au. That's spotdiagnosis.org.au. Please share Spot Diagnosis with your friends and colleagues. Rate and review us. Let us know what you think. We would really appreciate your feedback and any suggestions.